Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy, And I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Yeah. Is it, is actually, it actually, no, we're all fairly low energy today, <laughs> but <laughs> let's be transparent for those people out in the podcast land. <laughs> okay. We yes. are that way, but we are going to forge ahead. Yes, we are. And the energy will come up as we get going. There you go. Well, there's Don't always never fear listeners. <laughs> it's actually been a really busy week, I think, for all three of us. So um, yes. there's never a shortage of things to keep us occupied. It's very true. Very That's true. For sure. <laughs> and as as we are in the month of February now and right. cruising through the year, no snow for a not, little bit. Not in January at all. So I know. Um, maybe by the time this comes out in February, but who knows? We'll see. Our fingers are crossed right now. Absolutely, because we we definitely need it. But um, yeah, so here we are, another another episode, and thank you all for joining us. This week, we are talking about memoirs that we've read. And Christopher, why don't you get us started? Who did you read about? (laughs) Well, this is just so me. I, I realize, you know, when I look at the list of books I've been reading over the last two, three, four months, and you inspired me to start documenting them more closely, Stace. Um, I'm very predictable, and I always <laughs> always go for something that entertains me, and I like something with a little bit of humor. So the memoir mm-hmm. that I read is a new one. It's called All About Me, My Remarkable Life in Show Business by Mel Brooks. Just Yay! came out in November. Love yeah. him. Everyone kind of loves him, right? I mean, yes. at least the people I've come across or people with yeah. my equally weird sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a brand new memoir. Um, he's really getting up there. I think he's in his mid nineties and mm-hmm. you know, like that late great icon, Betty White, um, rest in peace. Yeah. Mel Brooks was involved in that early days of classic TV in the fifties and sixties. You know, he was a writer for the Sid Caesar, your show of shows with a very famous writing room, the Carl Reiner, Neil Simon, Woody Allen, Larry Gelbart, who made mash, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and they really got, became known as a team. It was one of the, I guess one of the most popular TV shows of its day. And mm-hmm. then he, he, kind of started getting his own name out there in the late 50s, early 60s by teaming up with Carl Reiner on a comedy routine called The 2,000-Year-Old Man, which became hugely successful. Yes. I think a lot of our parents probably recognize that. <laughs> well, you know, I remember having a, like, a I don't know if it was like a reissuing or mm-hmm. a sequel to The 2,000-Year-Old mm-hmm. Man. But I, there was a copy of that book that I had when my kids were little and wow. it had a, like a CD and you could hear, you know, you could listen to them interviewing each other and right. 
it was hilarious. It is. It's funny. I think they they did it multiple times over their lives until mm-hmm. Reiner Reiner passed. Um, yeah. And you know where he Mel Brooks first kind of came to my consciousness in the '60s. He concocted the spy spoof TV series Get Smart. Do you remember that? I kind of. Do it was like Agent eighty six and Agent ninety nine and the cone of silence and the shoe phone. It was all just <laughs> sight gags and witty one liners. Um, and I forget the actors and, and actresses who were in it, but it, it went into syndication after the late sixties. And I probably watched every episode a gazillion times before I was the age of ten, and I just laughed <laughs> all the time. Um, and it was kind of like a takeoff on. James Bond, right? Um, yeah. You know, it was really popular right. in the 60s. Um, and that's also when uh, Mel Brooks kind of branched out into the movies in the late 60s, where his kind of signature sense of humor came into its own. His first movie was The Producers, um, yes. which was really controversial. I'll get to that in a sec. But, you know, the the big uh, movie chains wouldn't touch it. So he had to release it almost as like on college campuses and as an art house film. And it, wow. it really took off because Peter Sellers saw it and he told all his friends, famous English Mm -hmm. comic, Peter Sellers. Um, And that's where it really got the word of mouth, really pushed it forward. And that propelled Brooks into the movie making business. And he went on to make all my favorite movies, you know, Blazing Saddles and Young Mm -hmm. Frankenstein and all those. Um, I should also point out, he is a World War II vet. He's he's up there. (laughs) He was a young young dude, um, but a young soldier. He was actually in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, wow! And after after the war, he got his comic chops going by going to the Catskills and being a comic up in that kind of early days of the Borscht Belt mm-hmm. resorts up in the Catskills, where so many other famous comedians got their start. Look, this this book itself, this memoir, is getting great reviews. A lot of good word of mouth. Um, Kirkus says there's a lot of delightful material, even if it's well rehearsed, and that's true. It's like every page he's delivering a one line or a skit or a blurb or, you know, and, and you recognize a lot of it if you've watched his movies, mm-hmm. like you, you recognize his sense of humor and stuff, but it's fun to read anyway. Um, you know, his, I, one of the things that gets cited a lot is he went to change his name from Melvin Kaminsky um, to Mel Brooks by going to assume his mom's maiden name, which was Brookman. And he, he was a teenager or in his twenties at the time mm-hmm. and he was playing drums and he went to paint Brookman on his bass drum and ran out of space. <laughs> so that's how he ended up with Brooks. And that's became his stage name. Um, and then Perfect. also in, in the book, you learn a lot about his long marriage to Anne Bancroft. They were yes. really a good working team and really devoted to each other. And she had a great sense of humor herself. Um, and then just working with some of the finest comedic talents of their time. You know, we've talked about Carl Reiner. He worked mm-hmm. with Gene Wilder and Madeline Kahn and Richard Pryor. And, you know, there are some tidbits here that I learned. So I'll just throw a few out for our listeners. Yes. Um, you know, Gene Wilder was introduced to Mel by his wife, Anne Bancroft. They had worked together on stage in New York City. And, um, you know, a few years later, Brooks remembered him and when he was putting together the producers, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he brought Gene Wilder into audition and get that role. That was Gene's first major movie role. He was a, wow. had a little role in Bonnie and Clyde, but this was his kind of first starring role with Zero Mostel. Um and he was later a last-minute replacement for the Waco kid in Blazing Saddles. The, the actor, the famous actor that they had hired to do that role, 
was famously a drunk and Mel Brooks, <laughs> Mel Brooks gave him a chance, but first day of shooting, something happened. And so Mel fired him and called Gene on a Friday. And by Monday, Gene had flown West and had taken on this now iconic, iconic role. And the other thing about that movie is Richard Pryor helped write the first draft of the film. And really? Was, yeah. With the intention um, that they would cast him as the sheriff. Um, but uh, the studio wouldn't insure him because he had already by then he had such a drug abuse history. Oh. Um, so the, the um, role went to someone else, but there was that collaboration with Richard Pryor that was also very fruitful. And then the young, the idea of young Frankenstein, another one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. was initially Wilder's. It was Gene Wilder who brought the idea to Mel Brooks. And he said, I will do blazing saddles if you do Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And so they did that. And, you know, he gives, Mel Brooks gives a few, you know, tidbits about putting that movie together, which are really entertaining, including that they had a massive argument over whether to include putting on the Ritz, that famous (laughs) Frankenstein singing in a tuxedo. Um, That was Gene Wilder's idea and Mel didn't want to do it, but they filmed it. And of course, Mel Brooks thought it was brilliant and the two ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for that film for writing it. Wow. They lost the Godfather, but um, well, okay, that's <laughs> that's acceptable. <laughs> and there's a couple of other ones that Brooks uh, was became good friends with Alfred Hitchcock during the filming of High Anxiety, which of course was Brooks's send up of all those Hitchcock psychological right. thrillers of the 40s and 50s and 60s, right? Um, and he was really nervous about it, but he would send Hitch some of the filming as they were filming the movie mm-hmm. and Hitchcock would send him back notes. And really? then at the end, they, he screened the movie for Alfred Hitchcock, who was very poker faced through the whole thing. Um, but then afterwards he sent him like a case of champagne. And so he Aww. knew, he knew that Alfred Hitchcock approved of the movie, which there's a lot more in there that I'm not telling you. There's a lot more fun details there. You can read the book. Um, and then perhaps one other big theme of Mel Brooks in his movies is that he would do explicit send-ups of really controversial things, right? So mm-hmm. the producer's original screen title was going to be Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> and, you know, it was the late 60s. Which is a song in the movie, Which right? is a song in the movie. Um, and, of course, the studios wouldn't touch that. They wouldn't let him do that. So he, he changed it to the producers, but he left the song in the movie. Um, and that was an instance of um, that along with some others, like the Spanish Inquisition song in History of the World Part mm-hmm. One, where they would screen the film for the studio heads prior to release. And the studio heads would come back and say, okay, you got to cut this, you got to cut that, you can't do this, all this stuff. And Mel would just look at them in their eyes and say, okay, yeah, we're cutting it, it's out, blah, 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 blah. And then the moment they mm-hmm. leave the building, he would leave it all in, send it out, <laughs> and everyone would make, you know, millions of dollars. So he would kind of get away with it. It also, you know, cause people to have conversations around things, right? I mean, he he describes being accosted by a a World War II vet over the springtime for Hitler. Like, why are you making uh, a celebrity out of Hitler? And he's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not. I'm actually sending him up by turning him into a comedian, a comedic foil. So it was, you know, those kind of things are really, really interesting. And the other last thing that I'll say is, which I really didn't realize is he had a separate production company for serious movies. I think he still has it because he knew if he wanted to put out serious movies, people would come to the theater expecting Mel Brooks jokes. Right. Right. So he did this whole separate 
production company and they put out movies like The Fly with Jeff Goldblum mm. and My Favorite Year with Peter O'Toole, which is a hilarious movie, and The Elephant Man in the wow. 80s, so, which is mm. about as serious as it gets. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more in this book. And as I was telling you, I think a few days ago, Stace, this book is as much as anything, it reads really quickly. It makes you laugh and chuckle throughout because it's Mel Brooks. Right. And at the end, you kind of just want to watch all his movies again. So, which we have many of them in the library. So, okay. um, <laughs> you can do that listeners if you, if you <sighs> feel like it, but this is, all about me, my remarkable life and show business, you know, a, a very humble title by Mel Brooks. That's my memoir. Well, he certainly has had a remarkable life and continues to have one. And yeah, um, yeah, he's, you know, you mentioned the movie High Anxiety. I've never seen that. Now you, I want to. I've never seen that. You know, <laughs> we were such... We were such fans of Blazing Saddles. It, you know, right. it, my my dad was, you know, it was one of his favorite movies of all time. Right. And, you know, when I was in high school, we'd always wind up back at my house watching that movie, like every, after every <laughs> basketball game, you know, whatever, right. every party, this is what we'd wind up doing. And, you know, I've watched that movie so many times. I practically know it by heart, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen High Anxiety. So it's on now. I'm. It's like my homework for this weekend. I have I, to. I, I check love, it out. I love High Anxiety, and I love Blazing Saddles. And you know, the one of the reasons I like both of those is Madeline Kahn. She was such a great yes. comedic actress herself. Yeah, um, so funny. So funny. And you know what was great? What I love about Blazing Saddles even today is that he was pushing the race conversation as early as 1974, yeah. 73 when that movie came out. Then like doing it in a really funny way that made people think, oh yeah, you know? Um, mm. And he did it really, really well. And then the other thing I love, which I'm, he said on like the Tonight Show a gazillion times, so I'm not saying anything anybody hasn't heard everyone grew up on these Westerns and the Cowboys were right. always eating beans by a fire yes. at night, but no one ever heard the truth about that. And so he put <laughs> the truth about eating beans by a fire at night in blazing saddles. And it's one of the funniest scenes of any movie of all time. So if ever I'm yeah, done. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's my memoir Stace. What, what did you read this week? Well, you know, I read a memoir written by a, you know, famous person in you know, in our everyday lives as well, uh, but couldn't be more different from Mel Brooks. And so I, re I read Going There by Katie Couric, and mm -hmm. it's her memoir, It's and it's very recently out there. And I mm -hmm. actually listened to it on um, Audible, and I was glad that I did instead of reading it, because there are lots of in the in the audiobook, there's lots of cutaways like to actual broadcasts, you know, right. like where you know you you know there's a tape of her doing this or that or talking to this person and right. Um, so that that was great. She also sings at various <laughs> points, which sorry, Katie, isn't so great. And, um, but, um, you know, that said, she's, you know, she certainly led a very interesting life and, um, you know, there's lots of insight into her career path, how she got to the Today Show and, you know, her 
less than successful experience on the CBS nightly news, which right. was going going to be such a big thing for to have a solo woman anchor at an evening news show. Right. And then it didn't go didn't go well. well. And you know that that could be left up to discussion as to, you know, was that her or really was it the people who were running the show telling or right. how she had to do things. And right. So that's up for some some debate, you know, why that didn't go the way it went. But, um, you know, I I am not a big – I mean, obviously I don't watch the morning television shows because I'm at work. <laughs> um, but, you know, when if I have the occasion to be off, you know, back in the day, I, I watched her on the Today Show and thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Her job is so great and – you know, she's so cool and, um, you know, she had such a, a way about her that made her so accessible to anybody in the country, you know, who turned on that show. So, well, it's interesting. Cause I remember we used to watch those before school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, she followed a successful string of very successful and influential TV mm-hmm. news people, you know, Diane Sawyer, Jane Polly, all these people who mm-hmm. were kind of known for it's morning TV, but kind of hard hitting interviews. And then maybe I, it was it Brian Gumpel who was still there when yes. she started. She, yeah. She came in to, to Brian and worked with Brian Gumpel the yeah. first few years. And, and I remember there being a feeling she's a little too pert and bubbly and you know, maybe had less gravitas at the time, but mm-hmm. she kind of worked to prove them wrong is what my sense was. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when she first came on, there was a, their contracts, hers and Brian Gumbel, like he had, like he had to get X percentage, like 51% of all the hard hitting interviews. Interesting. And she could only get 49%, you know, and yeah. by the time Matt Lauer came along, well, that, you know, that it was evened out a little bit and, um, you know, and she, she really went through a lot uh, when she was on the today show. I mean, she had two children during her time there. She lost her husband at a very young age when her children were very little. And, you know, that was, that was particularly interesting to me listening to how she navigated you know, all of a sudden she's this single mom again with this very high demanding job right? and two little babies. I mean, those girls, I didn't re I didn't realize, I guess, how young her husband was, how they young they all were when he passed away. And, um, you know, how hard that must've been and, um, you know, how she handled it. So, courageously was really something. And, and then that kind of like, after that, the next big kind of controversy there was she's, was she still there during the me Too Matt Lauer stuff or had she gone by then? Cause that, I'm she had curious gone, about that. yeah, she okay. had gone by, she'd gone when all that kind of came out. And okay. so, um, she doesn't go into that. That's not, she touches on it. So I should say this. There are like 75 chapters in this book. It's, <laughs> but they're really short 
they're really short little chapters. Like in a, in the audio book, they're like six minutes long. Oh, that's you know, good. Each chapter, it's it really moves quickly, and she kind of it's not really linear either. Right. It kind of bounces around and come goes back and forth, and and then she you know pulls it together. But um, with songs, so she kind of touches on. You know, when she's first describing first meeting him and all, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. his little chapter, his little things that come up, you know, she kind of hints at what she might have seen, you know, like midway through the book. She talks about that there were some rumors shortly after he came on board at NBC and blah, blah, blah. But she doesn't really doesn't dwell on that. Yeah. This is her story. Clearly, you know, so that was good. Cause I didn't want to, <laughs> I, I didn't have any interest in that kind of yeah. storyline or anything. But, good. um, the one thing I, that stuck out for me was the chapter where she talks about nine 11. Oh, right. And that, that yeah. stuck out for me because I, I remember, you know, being in California, you know, it's seven o'clock getting ready to go to work. And I will never forget flipping on the TV when I was getting ready. And she, you know, remember seven o'clock, it was already nine o'clock there. It already happened. Yeah. And I remember saying to my husband, Hey, the Pentagon's on fire. (laughs) And you know, him coming to look at the screen and, you know, she was kind of, and then that was when the second tower fell and, you know, it cut back to her. I mean, and I can just, so I have this really um, strong memory of her on that day. Right. And it was really interesting to hear her, um, you know, describe it. Yeah. I I would like to like to read that. I remember, being impressed, you know, because so much of the, all the, of course, all the local news people and the national news people did their special reports, but you could tell the ones who were living in New York or DC, like behind their eyes, there's a sense of, of emotion that, because it's local to them. Right. And and for her too, you could see, you know, you could think about it, you know, at the time, you know, what she must've been thinking of right. as a, like, are my, are my babies safe? Are my yeah. kids safe? Is, you know, yeah. where are they all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as you know, and her husband had already passed at that time. So, right. you know, she had that responsibility. So, you know, it was, it was very enjoyable. It was great to listen to, you know, it was like having a friend, she's mm-hmm. chattering in your ears, mm-hmm. you're going along and, um, yeah, so um, I really enjoyed it, and if you are, if you're a fan of Katie Couric or morning news shows or whatever, I'd encourage you to check it out. So that's "Going There" by Katie Couric, and that just came out last yep. fall, right? Yes. So two yep. new books on this episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> listeners, check it out. Take a deep breath, and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs. Adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. 
Welcome back, listeners. We are at our conversation portion of the podcast, and we're so honored today to be joined by Susie Baines, director of Shine, and somebody I've known and had an opportunity to work with for a long time. <laughs> Welcome, we're Susie. We're not any older. We're still just as young as we ever were, but... Welcome. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. It's so nice to hear you guys and see you guys. Likewise, likewise. And we appreciate you taking time away from your busy schedule. And why don't we start off? Tell our listeners all about Shine. Shine. So Shine is a nonprofit organization that I started in 2017. Um, And it's it's sort of a, a two-pronged organization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, SHINE is an acronym for Supplying Hope and Initial Needs for Empowerment. Um, and that is why we call it SHINE, because that's a mouthful. It's a great um, acronym, though. <laughs> um, but we're, we're small but mighty and small because SHINE is me, and it is just me. I don't have any employees. <laughs> but I am mighty. Um, and it's sort of two prongs. So on, on one side, Shine um, serves individuals in both Inyo and Mono counties. And um, the goal there is to help individuals who are marginalized, individuals who are low income, individuals who most of of what I'm serving over the last couple of years anyway are individuals or people who are experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. or are at imminent risk of homelessness um, and um, people that are low income. It's just really hard to make a living here. Sure. Um, so, so I really try to, we have a lot of organizations that are amazing at serving people that need help. Um, but the reality is that those organizations are government funded. They have limits to what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so shine tries to fill the gaps. So, um, as an example, I had an individual that was homeless. She was living out of her car and she mm-hmm. was fine with that. Um, she actually liked being, didn't want the, uh, responsibility of, owning a home or renting a home. And mm-hmm. she liked living out of her car. She was good with that. Um, but the registration on her car had expired and she was afraid she was going to get a ticket. Um, and so the request was, can you help me pay the registration on my car? Mm-hmm. So at first it seemed like a pretty frivolous request, but digging deeper into it, this was her home. Yeah. Um, and she was afraid she was going to get ticketed. She couldn't pay the registration. She couldn't pay the ticket. And she was afraid it was going to be impounded and she was going to lose her home. Right. So you sort of have to meet people where they are, figure out what works for them, what's going to make them successful. She had just rolled into town. She found mm-hmm. a job. She was afraid to drive to her job because she was going to get a ticket. Mm. So we paid her registration. What an easy thing to do to put right. something at ease, get her to her job so she could work and make a living and save her home, basically. So those are like the little things that that Shine can do that other agencies aren't always able to help with. Um, 
food, clothing, all of the other things that, that other agencies um, are able to help with, we're able to help with too. But mm-hmm. sometimes the the out of the norm things that, that we can help with, which is kind of the things that fall between the gaps. Um, so that's the one side of the individuals that, that, that we can help with. The mm-hmm. other side is community education, which is mm-hmm. really cool, which is something that I really love. Um, so I work really closely with Mono County Behavioral Health. Um, and right now we're doing a lot of communica- community education around um, mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. Especially during the pandemic, we have a right. lot of people that are um, in distress and really struggling. So mental health first aid is an evidence-based nationally recognized program that teaches regular people that aren't professionals how to recognize and respond to individuals that are having a mental health crisis. Mm, so so neat. It, it really, really is, right? Because there's a stigma around mental health. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can see. It's not a bruise, a cut, or a broken bone. So people are afraid of it. Right. They don't know what to do. So this program teaches people how to respond and re- or how to recognize it, first of all, that somebody's mm-hmm. actually having a crisis, how to respond, right? Gives you the tools, the words, um, sort of empowers you to be able to step in and say, I got this, let me help you. Right. Um, and then get them to the appropriate professional help. Right. Um, it's been really successful. We had a bunch of classes set up pre pandemic. <laughs> then we had to cancel them all. Right. <laughs> um, but we have been able to do a few of them. I, a couple of months ago, I did a couple of classes up at the mountain. I think we had over a couple of days, we had 30 or 40 people. Um, It was super successful. And people, the feedback I got was people said they felt empowered. They felt like they really knew what to do if somebody was struggling. Yeah. You know, that's that's it's such a... such an important factor there, that empowerment and just feeling more confident, right? You know, in libraries, we see a lot of these same constituents, people living out of their vehicles, using our Wi-Fi or coming into, you know, use our space during the day and people with mental health problems, people with chronic problems. And then people who are just like you say, they're having a really stressful experience in life right now. And they're coming to the library for some sort of resources. And we, we had behavioral health come in pre pandemic to talk to a portion of the staff at our mammoth library, really about, you know, how, how to interact with some of these people who are definitely demonstrating behaviors that frankly make staff feel uncomfortable, but staff want to help. So, you know, after that conversation with behavioral health, the staff were so appreciative because they just felt like, Oh, I kind of have a tactic now and I can mm-hmm. see that person as a person and not a problem or, you know, and it just made them feel more confident. Do the, yeah. are the, are the general public able to take any of these classes or is it with organizations? Um, you know, it's actually geared to the general public. That's what we want. You know, we always tell people, oh, you know what, if you need me, reach out, you know, just Mm -hmm. just let me know. Well, most people that are in distress are not going to reach out and say, hey, Christopher, I'm really having a rough day. Can you help me? Um, what we need to do is learn to reach in. We need to learn to 
check in on people. How you doing? Yeah. What's going yeah. on today? Is there right. anything I can help you with? So we we need to learn how to reach in. And that's part of what this is, is that we want the general public to feel comfortable reaching in and being able to have those tools in their tool belt to feel comfortable in in de-escalating somebody and then getting them to the appropriate help that they need. So, so the mental health first aid classes have been amazing and I'm so honored to be able to get out there and teach them. And I'm really hoping that as this COVID stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. is waning, hopefully um, that we can get out there and start teaching more of them and organizations as well. Um, but it is really geared to the to the general public, to the layman, to the yeah. person who doesn't really have that knowledge. Right. Yeah. Well, what? So, so what in your background, Susie, led you to do this now? You know, my my degree, my education is in psychology. Um, and you guys know, but if anybody listening doesn't know, I'm the crisis intervention person, right? I have this weird mm-hmm. affinity for <laughs> uh, loving crisis intervention. And were, I know it's really odd, mm-hmm. um, but worked with people um, who were survivors of domestic violence and sexual mm-hmm. assault for years. And um, it's a passion. So, Working in that field and seeing the amazing results that just wrapping your arms and not necessarily physically, but just, you know, wrapping somebody up in just that compassion and that caring and that I got this. I really do care about you. And let me see what I can do to help you. Just just telling somebody that I'm really sorry that happened to you Mm -hmm. do to help goes such a long way. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just an extension of of that. I think it's just an extension of um, needing to still have that in my life, but not wanting to be in the throes of somebody that's in crisis on an mm-hmm. everyday basis. <laughs> right. I just have a tendency to suck the life out of you. <laughs> yeah. oh. Of course. <laughs> So, so this is a nice balance. (laughs) (laughs) So before we leave shine and go move on to other topics, because your life is very full. um, How, if our listeners want to find out more about it, or maybe they're thinking about someone they need to refer to you, how can they find out more about it? Um, They can contact me uh, at shinehelp.org. That's probably the easiest way to do it uh, through, through my website um, or they can they can call um, 760-648-3075 or text that number as well. Um, we will I'm, put those on our show page. Thank yeah. you. Red, readily available. Great. Thank you. Well, you know, we kind of jumped the gun a little, Stace, <laughs> because we're fascinated with yeah. that. Can we take a step back and ask you, Susie, how you ended up in the Eastern Sierra? Are you native to this area? Oh, I wish I was. I feel like I am. (laughs) It's actually kind of convoluted how I got here. Um, I I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, I was introduced to the Eastern Sierra as a child. My family came up here probably like so many people that ended up here. Um, 
for summer vacations. And so I spent a lot of my summer vacations actually in the June Lake area, Silver Lake, um, hiking and camping and horseback riding and fishing and swimming and doing all the amazing things that the Eastern Sierra has to offer. And I remember even as a kid thinking, God, this place is really cool. I really <laughs> I didn't experience winter up here till I was in my thirties. <laughs> I both of my kids learned how to ski and snowboard up here. My husband and I brought our kids up here in the summer and the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so fast forward to two thousand, and my husband and I were rving up here we were actually at mammoth rv park and just on a whim said you know what let's go see what's available maybe we should buy a place so that weekend wow. here <laughs> i know right <laughs> so, <laughs> so um that weekend we contacted a realtor we went and looked at a couple places put in an offer and it was a whirlwind it got accepted and we <laughs> our second home here <laughs> i know and so that was in, in two, that was in 2000 and then 2008 fast forward again um we're still living in LA our kids are pretty much grown and gone they've got lives of their own mm-hmm. and um things are not particularly going well you know my husband's semi retired and we don't like being there yeah um, and I just, again, just on a whim thought, you know, what if, what, why not? So mm-hmm. I started researching to see if there was any kind of an agency up here that I might work for. I found Wild Iris. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Uh, I sent an application or not even an application. Actually, I sent a resume and a letter to then executive director, Lisa Reel, that basically just said, hey, if you ever need <laughs> somebody or a volunteer call me and uh-huh. literally within three days I got a call and she said come, come. <laughs> wow. talk to me. I'd love to talk to you so I got in my car I drove to Bishop <laughs> I interviewed with Lisa and a couple other employees um I got ho- offered a job that day Wow. I accepted it without even telling my <laughs> husband. <laughs> back in the car, I drove back to LA and I remember dri- driving in the driveway and I'm like, how am I going to tell him I just accepted a job? <laughs> I walked in the house and I said, so what do you think about moving to Mammoth? I just accepted a job. <laughs> and he's like, let's go. Wow. I know. I said the same thing. I said, couldn't ask for a better reaction. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So, yeah, and the rest is history. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Wild Iris? Because that's another great organization in the area. It's an incredible organization. Um, So, Wild Iris uh, works uh, in Yo and Mono counties, and they serve victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and uh, child abuse. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're also the lead agency for CASA which right. um, uh, helps children that are in the foster care system. Right. And it is, it is absolutely uh, one of the most amazing organizations. And I, I spent 10 years there. That's great. And it, was, it was a good 10 years. Yeah. That's awesome. And really what uh, 
it's kind of, I would imagine, <laughs> um, kind of a great way to really get to know a community that you're going to move into full time, you know, going, moving from that weekender <laughs> mentality to that full time mentality. Suddenly, you know, all the issues, you know, a lot more about the, the communities than many residents do probably. It's fascinating. It was a, it was a good immersion, yeah. um, in, in a lot of different ways, but I met, I mean, that's how I met Stacy mm-hmm. because we ended up on, on a couple of different, um, committees together. Yeah. Um, and so many other people and it was, it was a beautiful way, yeah, to get to know the community and to be able to, to serve the community, which is really what I wanted to do. So yeah. It was um, the best move I ever made, quite honestly. It was scary, but it was the best thing I ever did. That's great. Yeah. That is really well. And we were lucky to have you, you know, to get you here. So, um, and we're lucky to have you still. So, so Susie, what do you like to do in your, I'm guessing, very limited free time? I know you're involved with the Mono Arts Council. So yes. tell us, tell us about that. So I, uh, also do my own version of art. I have Owl Moon Studios, which is uh, a stained glass art studio. Mm, um, wow. We're and, looking at an owl behind you right there and yeah. your picture. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of them. Um, and so I, I've always been, uh, my family is just, uh, inundated with artists everybody in my family is so talented um and as a kid I was always just really fascinated with stained glass I just think it's a really cool medium it's very tactile it's cold it's warm it's bumpy it's smooth it's just a really nice medium so um I've always been involved with it but in the last couple of years I just really started going for it um and I was, uh, I saw on social media that um, there was a show at the gallery, uh, Howling at the Moon, and it was paying homage to the first responders and to the frontline workers right after COVID started. I don't know if you remember, mm-hmm. but people would go out at like nine o'clock at night right. at the moon. Yeah. Um, so I had a piece that I thought would fit in the show. It was a big it was rather large, actually, like about 24 inches by 19 inches. It was a big, beautiful Luna moth in front of a moon. And I went to the gallery and Danny, who was the manager at the time, said, yeah, this will be great. And um, that was my formal in into the gallery. Uh-huh. And uh, so when I saw that the gallery was looking for uh, or the Mono Arts Council, not the gallery, was looking <laughs> Or, um, a board member, I thought, you know, this is just another way to serve the community. I think arts education and it yeah. goes in with healing because I think arts is very healing and there's so much evidence that, um, art is, is trauma informed and it can heal people. And I just think it's just dovetails really nicely with my background and, and I get to be around cool people and cool art. So why not? 
I mean, it's just, and it, it has nothing to do with crisis or trauma. So it's a really nice balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should, we should remind listeners they can go into that gallery, which is in the Minaret Plaza in Mammoth and find your pieces for sale. I, I, I gifted one at Christmas and it's a delightful oh, feather. Um, yeah. So they can actually purchase your stuff from the gallery or maybe they can also purchase it from you on your website or. Uh, I do have a website, almoonstudios.com and they can purchase it there or, or definitely go into the gallery. Um, My, my work is there. Some of my work is there, but there is, there is just so much there that is just from, from artists all over the Eastern Sierra. That is just, it's mind boggling how many cool things are there. So I would highly recommend that people go in and serving on the Mac board is, um, I'm pretty new to it, so I'm still learning, but, um, it's, it's really rewarding. It just, it just feels good. It just feels like you're really contributing to, um, to something that's really special in, in our community. So I'm, I'm really honored to be a part of that. Well, they're, they're another great organization that, as you said, serves our community in, in a different way, but right. in a very meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. And and people can occasionally take a class with you at the gallery, right? On doing stained glass. Are we, I am so blown away by that. So I've done. <laughs> I really am. I've done two uh, two classes. Both were sold out, and we just opened up another one in March. And I just found out today that that sold out. And so we've opened up a second class in March. So yes, yay! That's great. When, when is when is that second class? So the are, second class will be Mar- Friday, March eleventh. Okay, uh, and that will be um, stain, uh, just basically constructing a, a beautiful piece of stained glass. And is yeah. that open to? Is it open to all ages? Like, can you know, or does it have like high school and up? Or it's an art and wine class. Uh, I see. So I'm okay, you have to be at least twenty one, eighteen or twenty one. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. We yeah. should do one, Stace. Yes. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. I. I'm. I. That sounds awesome. <laughs> There's nothing better than glass and alcohol. <laughs> well, before, go wrong. before you said that, Susie, I was going to say, although me and glass, that could be a problem, but oh. and then you throw the alcohol in. <laughs> and hot lead. Don't forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. What do you do when you're not doing stained glass? What do you guys do to, to, for fun in the area? Ah, outdoors. I think anybody that lives here just can't help themselves. Um, I love to be outdoors. It's been a little challenging the last couple of years um, with COVID, with things being closed, with the fires. Um, But as much as I can, I just, even if it's just taking the dogs for a walk. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I try to get outdoors as much as possible. It's it's pretty, um, it's just how can you not enjoy this amazing backyard that we have? It's yeah. so incredible. So I love to be outdoors paddling, kayaking in the summer, um, skiing or snowshoeing in the winter, or just, you know, even if I can just walk down the street and just breathe in the pine, that's okay too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For yeah. bathing. It's, it's important. Yeah. Mentally it's important. Yes. Yeah, it is. And it really does help, you know? 
those doctors got it right. <laughs> yes. So Susie, we always ask our guests, what are you reading now? Yeah. So I actually just started one book and just finished another. So if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you about both of them. Please do so. Yeah. So the one that I just finished, I like historical fiction and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that this fits in that category, but it's called um, the psychic book of deliverance. Dane. I don't know if anyone heard of it. Have I you have. Read it? Yeah, I have not read it, but I have heard of it. Catherine yes. Howe, H O W E. Um, it was just so beautifully written, um, and it is it is moves between contemporary times and the late sixteen uh, hundreds um, in Salem witch trials, and so it's basically oh. about this young woman that. Um, is tasked by her mom to sell her grandmother's house. And in cleaning out the house, getting it ready for sale, she finds this old Bible that has all this old family paperwork and stuff in it. And she starts to unravel this family history slash mystery of Deliverance Dane. And she starts to investigate who Deliverance Dane is and finds starts to find out about the family history and the Salem witch trials. Wow. And then, and then it sorts, you know, it goes back and forth between contemporary times and the witch trials. It was absolutely fascinating. Just the way that, that the witch trials, the way we treated people that were mm-hmm. actually probably mm-hmm. just herbalists and right. shooters, um, and, just seamless the way that it went back and forth. And I think after I'm done reading the book that I'm reading now, I'm going to go back and read it again. I love that. Awesome. That's a good recommendation. <laughs> That's a, yeah. So <laughs> so tell us, tell us the title one more time. It's called the psychic book of deliverance Dane and psychic is spelled P H Y S I C K. Okay. We'll put it on yeah. our show page. We'll tell, our, tell yep. our listeners about it. That one sounds good. I, I love historical fiction. And Stacey and I have chatted about this before. The ones that you've got a current character alternating with uh, a previous character, which you talked about a version last time, Stacey. It's, yes. Those are really fun because it is kind of about a voyage of discovery, you know? Yes. So, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Awesome. And she, she's just, it's just so good. So cool. good. Yeah. The one that I'm reading now is called, it's so funny. It's not funny. Um, <laughs> it's called Raven Black. It's by Anne Cleves. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where I got this book from. Did you read it? <laughs> I have not. Okay. I have not heard of this one. It's it's from 2006. Okay. <laughs> I don't okay. know where I got it from. I'm that person that will pick up like 10 books at a time <laughs> and, and then just take them out when I need something to read. It's a murder mystery. Um, it is actually the Duncan Laurie winner of the dagger award. And I'm not even sure what that is, but anyway, it's set in the, um, Shetland islands. Awesome. And it is, it is like, Holy moly. It is so good. I'm only like 15 chapters into, I don't know, 40 some odd chapters. But this author, Anne Cleves, um, I was hooked like in the first paragraph. Her characters are so descriptive and so just 
their clothes, their face, their hair, their facial. She just paints pictures of the people. And it's just, it just pulled me in, in the first paragraph. And it's just, there's, it's this little tiny Island. And of course everybody's gossiping and they all know who did it. And the inspector that um, has come to investigate the murder uh, doesn't live on this Island anymore, but he grew up there. So it's kind of hard for him to come back and relive a pretty gnarly childhood that he didn't like. So he's got his own challenges and, so far, it is really super entertaining and really, really good. So that's what you know, I'm reading right now. I just looked it up while you were telling us about it. I love anything Scottish. Stacey knows that too. I, it's my dream to buy a house on Shetland someday and ah. move there to retire in the in the cold North Sea. But it <laughs> looks like like Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review. She's been on the BBC World Book Club podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It got it got a 2017 Ice Pick Award, which <laughs> that's it was an Icelandic crime fiction award. So she's really out there. It sounds really, really good. I'm going to add this to my list. It is so good. And based on, like I said, I'm only a third of the way through it, but based on this, I'm going to go find her other books because this is so good. She's, so, you know, I can picture the, I can picture this like in my, the, her name and Cleves, like mm-hmm. as an author, like I think she's written, she's pretty prolific. Like she she's is. written a lot of books. Yeah. She's, she's a popular author. This one I so. have not seen before though. That's awesome. It just sounds very atmospheric. Um, yes. Perfect. <laughs> is it is it more is it more like um, Agatha Christie or more like Stephen King? More Agatha Christie. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's no Stephen King here. Okay. At least not yet. Okay. <laughs> it's well, yeah, an, an ice an ice pick award. You know, you think glory. <laughs> it could be coming because the character they all think did it is a little weird. <laughs> but. But he doesn't think this guy did it. He thinks it's too obvious. So we'll see. <laughs> well, that's uh, that sounds like a great book. It's Raven Black by Anne Cleves, and your other title was The Psychic Book of Deliverance Stain by Catherine Howe. We'll put listeners, we'll put links to both titles on our show page, and we'll remind you of them when the show comes out via our Instagram account. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us, Susie. Susie. You're Thank you just for having me. Treasure. Um, and again, listeners, if uh, – you want to find out any more information about shine um again we'll put that contact information on our show page as well or you can just email us or ping us in our instagram account and we'll put you in touch with Susie. it's an important important activity and another important activity is listening to the oxygen star podcast and building your two read pile so thank you for joining us for another episode we're we're swinging through winter here in the eastern sierra we hope you have a wonderful valentine's day because that's the day we're yes. releasing and uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another great episode and we've already lined up a terrific guest we're really excited to talk to her that's the biggest hint we'll give you um, you can find out more about us on our Facebook page or our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, where you'll find these links. Or again, subscribe to O2Starved Instagram account, and you'll get all the current stuff from us. So thank you again. Happy reading. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. 
Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. <laughs>